Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Chris mentioned that we started a new series last week. If you did not get a study guide or an introduction guide to that book, be sure to grab one on the way out. Our team's put that together. We've written it with you in mind just to encourage you in your faith as over the next few weeks. I hope that you'll invest some time there, that you'll pour yourself in and really make that a priority uh, as you continue to study the book of Colossians along with us. If you're in and out a little bit, or if you hit sickness as your kids come home from school carrying a little something extra you didn't really want, but now you got to deal with, I pray that you just jump in and continue to watch online, uh, that you follow along with us and dive into this book of Colossians, because uh, this book is such a powerful thing, and really just want to encourage you with that. Now, let me ask a simple question you may be asking, why Colossians? Now, you realize that uh, months ago, we actually decided that we wanted to take this little letter that Paul wrote to a church called, uh, in, in, in the place of Colossae, that we call the letter to the Colossians, and we decided we wanted to study this little book together this fall as we were moving into our building, because we felt like it was the most appropriate, best, best thing that we could do during this season. We thought, uh, now, truth be told, uh, we thought we were already going to be in our building. Like, we thought we were going to get in a couple weeks ago, and we'd be sitting in the building right now, opening up Colossians and be able to walk you through all this. But the point still stands that this book is what is really appropriate for us as we prepare to enter into this new season in the life of our church. It's an incredibly exciting time. Uh, but we wanted to preach through Colossians because everything we are, both individually and corporately, is because of Jesus. And everything that we do is for Jesus, and everything we hope for in our future as a church belongs to Jesus. And Colossians points us in that direction almost like nothing else in all the scriptures. This book in particular, the passage we're going to look at today, are just among the most beautiful exaltations of Christ in all the scriptures. It, It kind of blows your mind as you read through it. and So that's the why behind the timing of our study. And so as, you, as we dive into this book, let me just give you a little background. Paul, uh, the apostle, is writing to a group of people who are Christians in a town called Colossae. Uh, and he's writing with a concern because the pastor of that church, Epaphras, has brought something to Paul's attention. Uh, the people in his church lived in this city that was a very uh, prosperous, vibrant city in what we call modern-day Turkey, but it was a part of the Roman Empire. And there was a lot of influence from different cultures all around them. They had other gods that they worshipped. They had other ideas. There were cultural influences from the Roman Empire that were infiltrating that city. And so the people were a lot like us. That as they walked the streets of their city, they were hearing lots of ideas from the people around them. And some of those ideas actually sounded pretty smart. Uh, Any of you relate to that? Like you listen to podcasts, you listen to things in our world, and you just think, 
man, some of these people seem like they're onto something. There's probably some, some good ideas that are out there. And they began to consider these ideas. And they honestly, what we see later in Colossians is they were beginning to wonder if maybe they should try to incorporate some of those ideas into their belief system. Uh, not that they wanted to get rid of Jesus, but maybe they were just tempted to add some things alongside their faith to Jesus, uh, faith, faith, their, their confidence in Jesus. So they, they would take Jesus and say, I want Jesus, but maybe I'll just add a little bit of this or a little bit of that or a little bit of something else, and I'll put him alongside Jesus. And if I do that, maybe I'll, I'll have just a little more peace in my life or a little bit of prosperity, or maybe I'll have a little more meaning or fullness in my spiritual life, a little more freedom in my, in my moral life. And so they're considering these other practices, other rituals, other ideas, other approaches. And Paul is beginning to be concerned about what he's hearing about the way in which they're entertaining these other ideas. And so he is going to write them this letter to encourage them to run hard after Christ and only Christ. Now, friends, as a church, uh, we're, we're experiencing a pretty exciting time, aren't we? I mean, for those of us that have been around for a while, for those of us that have drugged chairs across cafeterias and middle schools, middle schools, like we, we met in middle schools and worshiped Jesus there, and God met us there, and there were good things that happened there, but that wasn't the easiest path we could have taken. And for those of us that have been down that road, it's exciting to think about moving into our own space something that we don't have to tear down at the end of the day, something we don't have to walk in and go, oh, I guess they're having a play this week. And there's a big backdrop behind us that we're going to share along with our worship service. And all the things, the ups and the downs of the journey that we've been on, it's an exciting thing that's going to happen in the next few weeks and months are going to be a huge celebration for us. It's going to bring new opportunities and new challenges our way. It's going to bring new people with new gifts and new passions our way. It also brings new needs our way, and it'll bring a new sense of calling for us to engage the lost, the poor, the lonely, the hurting, and the confused in our city with God's love. Friends, we're about to experience and step into the fulfillment of the hopes and prayers that we've offered over the last 10 years. Some of us have prayed for this for longer than that, and we're about to step into a new day. And moving into our new home, is not only the answer to prayers, it's also the fulfillment of sweat and tears as a mobile church. It's the fruit of the labor of, a hundred, of, a, of hundreds of Sundays. It's the, the sacrifice and the generosity of hundreds of people who have literally given millions of dollars to meet our budgets over the last decade and to build our building. And all of this is a sign of the grace of God in our lives. And it's truly an incredible opportunity that we're about to step into. And I think you can, you know, everyone I talk to as we kind of talk about this season, you can feel the excitement in our people. I had a friend who was a guest a week or two ago, and he said, you know, you, as you walk through uh, this space, you could just, you could feel the excitement in the room of what's about to happen and the anticipation of all the things that you're about to go into. But here's the thing I want us to understand today, is at the end of the day, if all we do as a church isn't about Jesus, then we've lost complete sight of why we're here. And we might as well turn the lights off and hand the keys over to someone else. If, it, if what we do is not all about Jesus, then, then we've completely failed in our mission. And Colossians, as we study Colossians this fall, we're studying it because we want to commit ourselves both individually and as a church family to make sure that we keep Christ as first over everything in our lives and in our mission. We want Christ 
to be preeminent or first. So look with me at Colossians 1. And we're going to run through this. Uh, it was probably a hymn uh, that we're going to read today. Colossians 1, we're going to start in verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn of the dead, and in everything, so that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Most people understand that this uh, was likely a hymn that was written during that time. And probably, I I tend to think, Paul, we don't really know the source of it or where it came from. Probably Paul pulled lines from different places and different sources, I think, and composed this hymn and became something that he incorporated into the book of Colossians in order to to meet the message. It fits right in with the flow of the text. Uh, But we don't really know the, the origination point or the source of this. What we do know is, there is so much rich theology in these nine short verses uh, that, that I could literally preach, I think, every major doctrine of the Christian faith coming just from these short verses. Like, I've done so much study this week, it's kind of freaking me out, and I'm like, how am I going to get all this out there, and I'm not going to be able to do it? But uh, when you think about everything that's there, uh, soteriology and the study of our salvation, it's there. The Trinity, it's a little harder, but it's implied all throughout. Ecclesiology and the study of the church, it's there. He talks about it, election, predestination, eschatology, and how God's going to bring about a new world and a new creation and a new kingdom where all things are made new. That is here. So much of the things that, uh, that we believe are captured in just a few short verses right here in the reconciliation that Christ brings. But the main focus of these works is what we're going to, or these verses is what we're going to look at today, is, which is Christology. It's the, the study of the person and the work of Jesus, which is the center point of the scriptures and what everything Paul is going to say is pointing to. In verse 15, he actually picks up the topic that we finished on last week in verses 13 and 14. He said, Jesus has delivered us from the domain, the realm where we lived in darkness, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The father is, I'm sorry, he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So it's Christ. In verse 15, when he says he, he's talking about Jesus. And so here we see the first big idea that I want us to to take hold of today, which is that Christ is first over all creation. So the first few verses, this is what we're going to see. Notice what it says in verse 15. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now that word image, 
really is the word we get our, we get our term icon for. Uh, we think about icon as a, a statue or a representation or maybe a coin. It's the, the face of Caesar on a coin that's imprinted as the exact likeness of Caesar uh, to be captured on that coin. It's something that is meant to portray a likeness to something else that you look at this and go, that correlates exactly to someone else. And what this says is Jesus is the image of the invisible God, meaning Christ is the one that we can see um, of the God that we can't see. Now, this idea is hard to follow because Paul is saying that Jesus is the image, meaning that even before he entered our world as a human, you were to think of him as the image. Uh, he mentions him as the firstborn. Uh, we, where we see this idea in uh, kind of throughout the, throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament. But let's go back first to Genesis 1 and talk about this idea of image. We see there's a correlation that Paul is making here to the original creation of mankind. Genesis 1, 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We were all created in the image of God, but it says here Jesus was the image of the invisible God. What's the point? He's saying that just like when you make something, oftentimes you create a template or a prototype, that when God made us, when God created the world, Jesus was the prototype on which everything was built. So even before Jesus was born in, in, of, of a virgin and of, of his mother Mary and entered the world and took on flesh and all those things, even before he took on a physical representation as a human, he existed before all things. He was still the prototype that we were created and crafted after. So humans bear the image of God imperfectly and incompletely, but our creation was built off the perfect image of Jesus. And we were intended to carry his glory throughout the earth. Verse 15 says he was the firstborn of all creation. Uh, Friends, if we believe that our world was created, and we do, right? So we believe there was a creator. Then what we understand about that is that the creator of the world is the only uncreated thing. If there was a creator that existed before anything else existed, he made everything else. By definition, that creator is uncreated. He pre-existed and made everything else. And so as we talk about and look at this, Jesus being firstborn of all creation, it can be a little bit confusing to know exactly what does it mean. In fact, what we see is that um, that a lot of heresies, a lot of, uh, a lot of false ideas and false religions have taken this verse out of context, not in light of the whole. And they've said, well, see, Jesus wasn't really God. He was the firstborn of all creation. He was the, 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 the first or the most important creation that was ever made. But uh, Paul in Colossians doesn't really give us that option. Notice what it says in verse 16. By him, all things were created. He can't be one of the ones that was created and be one of the ones who created everything at the same. So when it says Christ is the first sport, it does not mean he was the first thing God created. Uh, what it means is that, that, that he was the most important thing over prominently, over and pre- preeminently over all of creation. In fact, the Bible doesn't allow for the idea that he could have been a creation. The next two verses tell us very explicitly that he wasn't. Verse 16, it says, by him all things were created. Verse 17 says, Christ existed before all things. So before anything else was, Christ existed. There never was a time, as the church father said, when Christ was not. So when it says firstborn, what is it really talking about? He's talking about his place, his priority, his importance. 
to the creation, that he was over all creation. Just a little bit, we're going to get to verse 18, and we're going to see that it also says, it, it takes a parallel structure and repeats this, says he was firstborn of the, those who were resurrected. Well, he wasn't the first person that was resurrected. In fact, we know Elijah took the widow of Zarephath's son and brought him back to life. So he was someone who was resurrected. We know that Jesus resurrected Lazarus. We know that Paul took, uh, took someone and raised them uh, back to life. So we saw other people before Jesus resurrected, resurrected or other than Christ were also resurrected. So it doesn't mean first in time. But what it does mean is first in place. That Christ was the firstborn of the resurrection, meaning he was the one that set everything in motion and brought about not just the creation, but brought about the new creation in the future. Now, why does all this matter to you and to me? See, and <clears throat> what, what the point is, is that Christ, or Paul is saying that Jesus was first over everything else that was created. He's the most important. He's the most prominent. He's the priority He is the most powerful. He is the first and most significant of all. Verse 16 tells us why. All things were created by him and through him and for him. Uh, Now, that's sort of a significant statement, isn't it? If you say that you were made by Christ for Christ. Uh, If you think about all that means to you, uh, this statement means an awful lot. That if all the creation was made by Jesus, then it makes Christ the creator, means Jesus is God. Now, think about who is making this statement. Who wrote the letter to Colossians? Paul. Uh, Do you remember Paul's conversion and who Paul was before he came to Christ? Paul was a Jew of the Jews, he said. I was a Pharisee, a religious leader. I was the most loyal, faithful, zealous religious leader that there was. In fact, I hated Christians. I despised them. I didn't believe that Christ was the Messiah. In fact, Paul stood by while Stephen was stoned to death and approved and clapped saying, way to go, take out that guy that believes Jesus was God and that he was the Messiah. And Paul said, I myself was dragging off men and women and throwing them in prison for saying that Jesus was God and that he was the Savior sent by God to bring about, or as the Messiah of the world. Paul saw Christians as heretics, and he vehemently denied that Jesus was God to the point of persecuting all Christians. Now, what's, what's happening here? Paul's done a total 180, hasn't he? Paul is writing a letter, and he's writing something completely different from what he used to believe, and he's saying that, uh, he's saying that, that, Everything in our world was made by Jesus and for Jesus. This is a radically different statement from what Paul used to believe. Now, friends, when you think about this statement, think about if you step back into our day. Um, what do other religions say about Jesus? Well, if you go to the Jehovah's Witnesses, if you go to Mormons, if you go to, the, to, to Muslims, uh, they like Jesus oftentimes. They'll talk and speak kindly of Jesus until you say Jesus was divine. And then immediately they bristle and begin to become hostile to that idea. They're very uncomfortable and reject the idea that Jesus is God. And typically they become very vehement about that. But in our world, in our Western culture, many people think of Jesus very positively. If you take this statement, Jesus is, and fill in the blank and think about how people in our world might answer that question. They might say that Jesus is a positive influence, or he's a great philosopher, or a wise friend, or Jesus was a freedom fighter who sought justice, or Jesus was a kind, humanitarian, uh, graceful person. But oftentimes they begin to bristle when we say that Jesus was divine, 
that he was God. And Paul is writing this mind-bending idea, saying that the man who eventually looked like us and walked like us and talked like us was also the one who was God who created us. Friends, that's a miracle that, that we can't fully wrap our brains around. It's a miracle that has to be revealed to us. It's a miracle that, that pushes on all of our expectations for life. And it makes me ask the question to you, who is Jesus to you? Because Paul is writing, he says, Jesus is supreme overall, like nothing else in the universe is in the same ballpark or category as Jesus. Friends, you were created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. And that truth ought to radically shape your life. Do you understand what that means for you? That you were made by Jesus, for Jesus? It means that your life will only ever make sense when you're in a right relationship to Jesus and when you're living with his purposes and plans as primary in your life. You were created by Jesus, for Jesus. You were not created for your job. You were not created for the role of your family. You were not created for your achievements. You were not created for your political party or your preferences or your style. You were not created for your beauty and your attractiveness. You were created by Jesus, for Jesus. End, stop, period. That's what Paul wants us to understand. In fact, all of these things in your life will only ever make sense if you find and find fulfillment if you understand that Christ is first over them all. And it's only in that light that your life is going to come into alignment with the purposes that God has put before you and the meaning that he wants you to have. Now, Audra, it means when George is down 14 to 3, you can't freak out because Christ is over football. You don't have to panic. If you've got things in alignment, that doesn't stir everything up or make you freak out. Oklahoma State, I'm not going to go there. Uh, You go on in verse 16. What we see is this idea continues that it's not just over us, but it's over everything in heaven and on earth. And man, this this kind of blows your mind and there's more. And we're going to come to this later as you get to Colossians 2. But part of what he's saying is, you notice there's a statement. He says that he's over all powers and authorities and rulers and principalities and all the things. Christ is over everything, all the spiritual beings in all the universe, not just what we can see, but that which is invisible and that which is in the heavenlies. Christ is over it all, which which ought to be completely mind-blowing for us. Um, Don't have time to break all that down, but it's important, I think, just to say it. Verse 17, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. This means your body, your life, your universe are being sustained by Christ. It means when Journey was singing about, uh, about the wheel in the sky, they didn't know it, but they were talking about Jesus. He keeps everything spinning and holds it all together. And pick whatever song you want. There's a billion of them that capture this idea that the world goes round and round and everything is there. And What Paul is saying is if, it, if Jesus wasn't holding it together, it wouldn't do so. Verses 15 to 17 then tell us the first thing, that Christ is first over all creation. Secondly, we see Christ is first over all the new creation. Verse 18, there's a shift. We're going to move from Christ being supreme over everything that's made generally to how he's specifically in the progression of God's work going to be supreme over all the things that God's going to do to remake or renew the world in the future. 
Verse 18 says he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, and that everything he might be preeminent. Uh, The second half of that verse says uh, language that repeats what we said before. If he was firstborn in the original creation, now he's firstborn of the dead. He's firstborn in the new creation. Resurrection is he's going to start something else. So when Christ was resurrected, it wasn't like anyone else that was brought back to life. Christ's resurrection ushered in an entire new humanity. He's recreating everything. And his resurrection was the beginning of that recreation work that he is going to do. And so he's going to do that that work in the new world through the church. Verse 18, it says he's the head of the body. As the head of the body, he's intimately connected. As the head of the body, he cares for everything in his body. And if we are, his body is the church. Christ means we're united to him, we're connected to him, we're we're living in, in, in union with him. And he cares for us. He guides and directs everything in his body. And for what purpose is he doing it all? Verse 18, so that in everything he might be what? Preeminent. Now, preeminent's a big word, big word, kind of an old school world. It might be translated that in everything he might have first place. So that in everything, Christ might have first place. Friends, that's a, that's a bold statement. What it means is that all of this points to one grand purpose of all existence, that in all times, past, present, future, in all beings, in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, all things in creation and all things that are being made new, in everything, everywhere, and every time, Christ is to have first place over it all. That's what Paul wants us to understand, is that if there's ever a time where Christ is not first, then we're missing out on God's design and plan for the universe. Now, on what grounds did Jesus establish his right to be first over all? Look at verse 19. It says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Uh, This idea of fullness is interesting because I remember what the Colossians are struggling with. Uh, The the question the Colossians are struggling with is, is Jesus enough? Maybe I need to take Jesus and add a little something to him. Maybe I need to take Jesus and get a little some of this and a little more of that and a little bit of this thing over here and bring it alongside Jesus for me to have real fulfillment. And what's Paul say? In Christ, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. So if you have Jesus, you have all the fullness you'd ever need or want. All of Christ is sufficient for everything. Friends, we need to stop saying, if I had Jesus plus this, I'd be okay. If my church had Jesus plus did this thing, I'd be okay. If, if my family had Jesus but looked a little more like this, then I'd be okay. What Christ is saying is that, that if we have Jesus, we have access to all the fullness of God. Verse 20, we receive the ultimate reason why we should personally worship Jesus. It says, through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. To reconcile to himself all things. Friends, do you ever just have this weird sense that the world's not quite right? Like, do you ever walk through your day and you think, like, you come out of here on Sunday and you feel pretty good and you get to, like, 2 o'clock in the afternoon and you're already ready to cuss? Because you're just like, ah, nothing's working the way it's supposed to. 
I can't get those people to do what they're supposed to do. I can't get that group to do what they're supposed to do. If everyone, I can't get my team to win. I can't get, like you just, you get all bit out of shape about stuff or you come home and immediately you start sneezing. I've had this congestion for a month. Like literally cannot get it out of my head. I was driving in this morning. I was like, come on, just one Sunday where I'm not like feeling like I got stuff all up in here. Like our world is just broken. You go work out and you come away and you're like, oh, there's a new limp I didn't know I had. Like 20-somethings, I just want you to know, like, that's the best you're ever going to feel. Like, you get married, and you sit there, and you look into her eyes on that day, and you're like, la, you know, everything's wonderful. And then you get, you know, three days into the honeymoon, and you're already like, you know, like, in different corners of the bedroom, frustrated about something. Because our world is broken. Christ is going to reconcile all things. All of those hurts that you've carried for years. All those habits that you just go, in, I did it again. All those hang-ups. All those hardships that you've endured and some of them that just never go away. That You're just like, man, I've carried this monkey on my back my whole life and I just don't know how I can bear the weight of it anymore. You need to understand Christ is going to reconcile all things to himself and his ways. And he will make all things new. We need to know that Christ is first over all in creation and in the new creation. And that's where everything takes on meaning for us. Friends, we should worship Jesus just because he's God. We should worship worship him just because he was our creator. We should worship him just because he sustains the universe. We should worship him just because he was first over all of creation. But that, if that's not enough, we should certainly worship Jesus because he's our savior. This is the third way scriptures tell us that Christ is over all. That he should be first over all in our lives. Verse 21, Paul turns personal. He says, and you. Friends, all, all of the things we've been talking about, they're for you. Paul didn't want you to miss that. That's why he pauses. He just says, and you need to consider what this means for you. You were once, he gives three terms, alienated. Alienated means you were separated, isolated, exiled from God, like the Israelites when they were cast out into exile as those who were sent away from the Lord. They were in exile, longing to go home. Paul says, you were alienated. You were exiled. You were hostile in mind, means you were willfully rebellious, means you were an enemy with malice and intent. That that you yourself were hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's actions that you're acting in ways contrary to God's nature and holiness and the way you're designed. This is the problem that every human faces before Christ. But verse 22 comes, and you notice how it starts. It says, but now you were once alienated, hostile, evil, but now Christ has come to bring a new day in a new world. Now he's reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, above reproach. He has reconciled, it's accomplished. How? In the body, in his body of flesh. Why is Paul so detailed here? He's talking about flesh. Well, 
just a few verses, he was talking about Paul being the image of the invisible God. But then Paul, uh, Paul wants us to know that Jesus didn't stay in that realm. He actually stepped into our realm and took on flesh and became one of us as a human. And so in this body of flesh, Paul wants you to know that he laid it down and died for you on a cross in order to bring about your reconciliation so that you might be renewed. Verse 20, how was peace achieved? By the blood of his cross. Verse 22, how are we reconciled? In the body of flesh by his death. Jesus was the one who did the reconciling. He did all the work. It was all his initiation. He went first of all to the rescue. While we were alienated, hostile, and evil, he came for us as our Savior. Friends, how do we ever get over this? Like, how do you ever wrap your mind around the preexistent God who created everything died for you? Like, it, there's no way for our finite minds to wrap, our, to wrap our brains around all that that means. We can't even fully comprehend it, but it ought to bring us to tears all the time. It says he did it in order to present you as holy, blameless, above reproach, without blemish. So all the shame that you carry, all the guilt that you've borne, all the sins that you've done in all your days, says that he's going to present you holy. That means this is at the judgment, that he's going to announce you as you enter the room of the judgment. And he says, I introduce to you, put your name in the blank. I introduce to you, so-and-so, holy, blameless, without blemish, and fully invited to enjoy the world that I've created for them forevermore. Friends, that's what Jesus came to do. And here's the question for us. Will we keep Christ first overall in our lives? Or will we come along and maybe be tempted like the Colossians are to try to add something else, to say, like, maybe um, maybe we, we would want to you know, kind of put our hopes in some secondary issue or elevate some sacred cow or tradition or to listen to some philosophy of our day. Maybe we'd be tempted to demand our way in some minor arena over the main thing of the gospel, but, or will we do what Paul calls us to do and stay steadfast to the hope of the gospel and honor Jesus as first over everything else? Friends, I know I'm getting a little bit long here. Let me just end with this. Do you see why we wanted to study Colossians as we opened our building? Our heart above all else is that we want Christ to be first in everything. First in your life. That Christ would have first place in your worship, in your character, in your love of others, in your generosity, in your service, in your holiness, in your attitudes, in your entire life, that Christ would have first place in everything because that is the place of your greatest good and your greatest joy. So our heart for you is that Christ would be first place in everything. It's also a heart for us as a people of God, us as the church, that Christ would have first place in everything. And that makes all the difference in our mission. Friends, as we move into our new building, we're going to be in the heart of a city full of people that need Jesus full of families that are fractured and breaking and falling apart and need to be restored, full of people who are lonely and left out, full 
uh, of people who are in despair and asking questions and doubts about the value of their life. And we need to put Christ first that we might fulfill the mission that he's given us. And we need to put Christ first that we might fill that space with our worship unfettered by sin. We need to put Christ first uh, that, that we might dive into community and we might love one another as scriptures call us to fill out the one another's. Uh, that we would live out everything that the Christ spells out in the, or the, that the gospel spell out for us in honoring the kingdom of Christ. That we might keep him as first place above everything. Um, let me just give you a sneak peek, and I'll close on this. I want to give you a sneak peek into something we just put into the building. Um, as you look at this, and I don't know if we can dim lights or not, but this is my friend Steve, and Steve is an artist who is crafting um, our door handles that go into our worship space. And I want to tell you how we, ref- we are trying to take this idea that we want Christ to be first over all, and just putting it into our building so you're going to see this every single week when you step into that space. In fact, these, are, uh, these handles are made from cast-off bullet casings that were melted down and crafted into a cross as we walk into the building. And we're going to share more of this whole story later, but I just wanted you to see that, and just to, to have this fixed in your mind that as we step into that space in two weeks, as we walk in and as you go to open those doors and as you reach for those crosses on the door handles, that it just would resonate in your mind that Jesus is preeminent over all, that Jesus is first over all, that it's through Christ that we enter, that it's in Christ that we stand, and that it's for Christ that we live. That's our heart for our space downtown. And if we miss out on Jesus, we've missed it all. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that Christ would be exalted in us. Father, that every time something gets in the way, that we would, that we would repent and lay it down and run to Jesus. For he is our life. And he is our hope. And he is our greatest love. Father, give us faith. Believe in the deepest parts of our soul. Amen.